let's pray, and then we're going to dive into the word for a little bit this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today, and thank you for this time that we can come and gather in this place, Father, to worship you. Father, as we come out of a season where we have worshiped the birth of your son, Father, may we not run from that too quickly. But may we always be astounded that you, the creator of the world, sent your son to be born as a baby, to live a life fully human and yet fully God, so that he could pay the penalty of our sin, not his, but ours. Also, we could know you once more. Lord, that story never gets old. And I pray today as we dive into it, that you would hide me behind your cross, that you would speak your words, And Father, you would bring life. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go ahead and open up to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 2 is where we will be in just a moment. There are a couple of groups of people in the Christmas story that gain great prominence. If you've been around church for a while, you know the Christmas story. One of those groups of people are the shepherds. The shepherds, if you know the history, were a downcast group in society. They weren't really liked that much by anyone other than shepherds. They had a very dirty job, they had a very long job. Some might say they had a very boring job. But somehow in this story of the birth of Christ, God saw fit to announce the coming king to this group of men out on a hill by night. You know the story where the angels appear, the first one appears in the sky, says, do not be afraid, I come to bring you good news of great joy that today a savior has been born. I mean, just take a step back for a second. I mean, can you believe that story? I mean, that all of a sudden, out on the hill, heel, excuse me, there's my Southern coming out right there, heel, out on the hill, Bring that back in a little bit so we can all understand each other today. Out on the hill by night, I can't help it sometimes, an angel appears. I mean, crazy. Crazy ways in how the Lord works. Crazy ways in how the Lord would decide to announce his coming king. That an angel would appear to the shepherds. And we all know the story after that. The shepherds, uh, they, the, the great multitude of angels come and, and the shepherds all unanimously decide we're going to see this child and they run to the manger and there's baby Jesus lying in the hay in the manger and they worship. And afterwards they are in such awe of what they have seen, they leave there and go tell everyone what has happened. Well, there's a second group of men that gain great prominence in this story. And this is one of the the more interesting parts of the Bible to me. Because for me, uh, it's just how I'm wired. I often wonder sometimes how biblical 
history and biblical truth sometimes gets interpreted in our modern world, in our modern language, in our modern thoughts. One of the great examples of this is Jonah and the whale, right? Because the Bible doesn't say it was a whale. It says it was a big fish. And the other thing that I find interesting about this story is isn't this one of those stories that we just, we tell our kids at bedtime, Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the big fish. We tell them about how Jonah got swallowed by a fish. Good night, y'all sleep well, sweet dreams. (laughs) It's just interesting to me how in our modern traditions, some of these stories have taken on a life of their own. And I wonder if the wise men isn't one of those as well. And so this morning, I want us to just take a moment to see what Matthew has to say and maybe to glean from that a couple things about the faith of these men who came to see Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you of Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that, had, that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. As we look at this story this morning, we're going to look at a couple different aspects of it. One of the first ones is an interesting idea that we have that isn't really shown in the Bible when it talks about the wise men, but that sometime in years past has been created. And that's this idea that there were three wise men. Right? I mean, we've, 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 we've sung about that, we've talked about that, we, we teach that. There were three wise men. The Bible doesn't tell us how many there were. I mean, that was the account right there out of Matthew, and nowhere in there does it say it. It simply says, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, tradition and history and, and men much smarter than I looking back in that time period, have ascertained that typically when wise men of that era would travel, they traveled in groups of anywhere from eight to 12, not three. Anyone care to guess where most people think the number three came from? The three gifts. That's exactly right. 
Because and we get this in the South, don't we? Especially Christmas time. Because at Christmas time, when you've been invited to a house or you've been invited to a party, there several times this year, we had some friends over uh, to eat dinner with us. And, and, and when they come, what's the question you ask when you've been invited? You're on the phone, probably your wife, men, we don't do this very often, but, but the ladies do. What can we bring? Because in the South, you would never dare show up to a dinner party without something in hand, right? I mean, a dessert, a side dish, something. And so in our modern translation of this, we see three gifts. So there had to be three wise men, but the Bible doesn't give us a number. It just says wise men from the East came. I find that very interesting. These wise men, we're not real sure where they came from. There's lots of different theories out there. We know they came from the East. We know they came a far distance These wise men were spiritual scholars from any place they would have come out in the east. They were men who worshiped multiple gods, anywhere from four to five gods at a time. Also, these men are are referred to oftentimes as magi. And in the Greek, this word that translated wise men literally means magi. And these magi would be men who were very well versed in astrology. It's very interesting, isn't it? These were men who were very well versed in astrology. They looked at the stars and the planets and the sky to determine spiritual things. Also, because of their intellect and their stature, and because they worshiped multiple gods, they would have a knowledge of many of the different religions around them. And so it's not far-fetched to think that these wise men would have had a very good working knowledge of what was called the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. It's not far-fetched at all to think that they would have known that just as much as they knew someone else's religion or something else because they were scholars. They were men who studied. And in the Torah, in the book of Numbers, I know this is a book that we all read often, the book of Numbers, it's a prophecy about the birth of Christ. It says in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all sons of Sheth. This prophecy of of this coming king out of Jacob, who would reign and who would rule, is prophesied with a star. Here are these wise men who most likely, not far-fetched to think they would have had a knowledge of that, who study the skies for a living, see a star. And as they see this star, I mean, it's not a, a normal star. It's not a natural star. They know this has to be a special star. So they begin thinking, what is this star? And somehow or another, they wind up here. This must be the king of the Jews. So they do the only thing they know to do. And they go to the headquarters of Judaism, which is Jerusalem. They pack their bags. They travel. They go to Jerusalem. King Herod is king. So if you're looking for a king... Where would you go? You go to the palace. You go to the king. 
Surely the king would know of any other king. So the wise men wind up in Herod's court. And I love how Matthew writes this. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Well, that's Herod. I mean, Herod is king of the Jews right now. They're standing in front of Herod. But it doesn't take much knowledge to figure out this man wasn't born recently. It's a little older. Can't be him. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. This is what I find interesting about the story. Because Jerusalem is a Jewish nation. It's a Jewish place. Now I said earlier, it's not far-fetched to think the wise men would have known of the Torah. What we absolutely know from history is that the Jews knew the Torah. They knew it. They knew the first five books of the Bible. They knew it just as well as you and I might know John 3, 16. They could recite it by verse. They had a great knowledge of this. They knew of the prophecies. They knew of everything. And here come these men from the east who have seen the star. And they say, where is the king of the Jews who has been born? And the Bible tells us that Herod was afraid. Well, rightfully so. But all Jerusalem was as well. Isn't that how we are? Sometimes we miss God because it's different than what we know right now. Sometimes we discount God because it doesn't fit in our world right now. Sometimes it doesn't mesh real well with our thinking because we kind of like things how they are right now and I think that's where Jerusalem finds itself in this moment they've got a, a, a rhythm they've got a tradition they know how things work that Herod has been their king they don't want a new king no matter if it's the savior of the world or not they're fine So Herod being greatly troubled, he calls in all of the priests and the scribes. These are the men who would know. These are the men who would absolutely be able to tell him what's happening. And he calls them all in and they tell him. They refer back to Micah, the prophecy in Micah, where Micah prophesies that the baby would be born in Bethlehem. And so Herod comes out and he calls the wise men together. He tells them where the baby should be. What's also interesting, you kind of miss it if you, if you read past it. Verse 7, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. There's also a prophecy in Daniel chapter 11 that talks about the timing of the star. That after 400 years of silence from God, the Messiah would come. So I think, I mean, if you could just imagine, I mean, the Bible doesn't say this. But... Just imagine with me this story for a moment. It seems that Herod calls in his high priest and his scribes and they're telling him and they're telling him the whole story. He's going to be born in Bethlehem and the Bible says that it's going to be 400 years after silence. So we're kind of in that period. We haven't really heard from God in a while. So it, it, it might fit. And so Herod says, okay, thank you. 
calls in the wise men and he says, all right, Bethlehem. But I need to know something. When, when did you first see this star? Because I want to check on the timing of this. I need to know, is this really, is this really the one? And so they tell him and the Bible says that Herod sends them out and they go out. And this is what I find, something else I find very interesting in the story. Herod's called together all the spiritual leaders of Jerusalem. They've discussed that a star has appeared. They've been talking about it as a group. A good church committee has formed. Not one of the Jews goes with the wise men. Not one of them. I mean, I'd like to think were I there and I had these wise men from the east and they were telling this story and we had the prophecies in front of us and we understood what was happening. I'd like to think that in that moment, I would be packing my bag to go with them. I want to see with my own eyes, is this really the one? Is this my king come to save me? But none of them, none of them go. So the Bible tells us that the wise men go and the, and the star leads them again. I mean, isn't that crazy? I mean, there are stories we've talked about a little bit, but there are stories in the Bible that just blow my mind. I mean, think about when the Israelites in Exodus are being freed from captivity and they're led by day by a cloud of smoke and by night by a pillar of fire. I mean, unexplainable. I mean, you might can explain the cloud of smoke, right? I mean, the fog and the, all the stuff that's way bigger than I can even understand. But you might could explain that, maybe. But nighttime comes and there's a pillar of fire moving in front of you. You're not explaining that. That's God. And here the wise men, as they've been told, go to Bethlehem. Imagine, I mean, it says they were exceedingly happy. They see the star, it begins to guide them. I mean, when this is happening, you, you know you're on the right track. I mean, you know this is something, this is good. I mean, they are being prepared for what's going to happen. And it says they get to the house. This is one of those other common things about the wise men. We often think, oh, the wise men came to the manger. Not, not so. Jesus was a little older, probably around two years old, maybe just a hair less, but probably around two years old. They were in a house, and it says when the wise men came to the house, they came in and they fell down and worshipped him. I mean, you got to think on this long journey, they're wondering, what's it going to be like? What, what, what should we expect? How is this moment going to go? And somehow when they walk in the front doors and they see this toddler, they recognize something about him that is so much bigger than them as a group. They fall down and worship. This wasn't a stoic, planned out visit. When they came into the presence of Jesus, even as a baby, they knew. This is the Savior of the world. 
And then they gave him gifts. And then in a vision, an angel appeared to them and told them, don't go back to Herod because he has plans to kill them. So go home a new way. And in this story, there are a couple things that are very interesting to me that we can see from these wise men. These pagan, multi-God-worshipping men who come to see Jesus. One of the first is I think that oftentimes God calls us in unexplainable ways. But yet at the same time, while it's unexplainable, he meets us right where we are. I mean, think about that with these wise men. I mean, a star in the sky, unexplainable how all this works out, that this star just appears and then the star moves, unexplainable ways. But these are wise men trained in astrology who make a living looking at the stars at night. This could have gone one of two ways. One way, they could have dismissed it because it wasn't what they were used to. It wasn't normal. It wasn't natural. They could have just dismissed it as something, an anomaly. Or they saw it for what it was. God was calling them in an unexplainable way, but in a way that met them exactly where they were. Has that ever happened? to you where just in an unexplainable way the Lord shows up yet it's exactly what you needed at that moment it's there when we were uh, several years ago I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip to Zambia Africa And I'll never forget this one village. We had the opportunity to go to three different villages while we were there. Uh, One of them, from the moment that we walked in, you just felt, you, you, you felt the devil. There's no other way around it. You felt the spiritual warfare that was there. It was, it was phenomenal. And one night we had gathered together. We'd done this in two other villages already. This was our our last village and and we were going to show them the Jesus film. It was in their language and we had a portable projector this is hilarious to think I mean paint this picture you're out in the desert and we have a projector strange we had a portable generator we had a projector we had a screen we were going to show them this video we had speakers so we plug it up we get everything going Rick you'll appreciate this the bulb and the projector out luckily they had a spare they were prepared so we put the spare bulb in the projector the generator goes out Okay, so luckily down the road, and when I say down the road, I mean two hours down the road, and, and, and you, you get there early. I mean, you don't, you, this isn't one of those things you show up 10 minutes before, so we had plenty of time. Two hours down the road was another generator. They get that generator there. By the time that generator gets there, while it worked perfectly where it was, it would not turn on where we were. Very interesting. Now, one of my greatest fears as we left to go to Zambia was preaching. I did not speak Zambian. I did not understand it. I did not speak it. It was actually the first time I'd ever been out of the country of the United States of America. By my accent, that's probably a good thing, right? (laughs) 
And so we get out there and we had an interpreter, very great, very nice guy. He was a pastor in his own right. Nothing's working. And he looks at me. He says, do you know the story of Jesus? Yes, I know the story of Jesus. He said, great, you have an hour, tell them. Are you kidding me? Like the whole story, and it's pitch black dark, so there's no Bible. I can't, you know, I can't read it. I can't, I mean, are you kidding me? He said, I'll translate, no problem. So for the next hour in, I mean, it, it, it sounds silly, but in just a way that I cannot even explain. I experienced the Lord. And while it's unexplainable, it was exactly what I needed at that moment. And here are the wise men who come to Jesus unexplainable ways but exactly in the way they needed and they get there they get to Jesus they fall on their knees they worship and they give see we have in our modern tradition that they gave three presents which is absolutely correct they gave gold they gave incense they gave myrrh but in at least in our modern minds I think the picture in our head is that these were gifts that were wrapped beautifully they had a bow on top they were prepared before they left they were prepared for the journey they were prepared to give to Jesus when they saw him but when you read out of the bible it says then opening their treasures they offered him gifts what seems to me is this, this was very spontaneous, that when they got to Jesus, they recognized who he was, and after worshiping him, they wanted to give him whatever they had. They opened their treasures, and they gave to him. Sure, they have great Symbolism, And it makes perfect sense that the wise men would have had each of these gifts, even on their own, just for their long journey. They would have needed gold to purchase things. They would have needed incense because they are spiritual men. They would have worshipped somewhere along the way, probably several times. And that was a thing that they used for incense. And then this gets back to the first thing we talked about. If they were traveling in a group of eight or 12, large group like that, going on a long journey in those days there's a very good chance one of them wasn't going to make it back. Myrrh would have been a very common burial spice. It would have been very common that they carried that with them because they would have buried you right wherever you were. It makes perfect sense that when they saw Jesus, they gave. I got to thinking about that. Here are these wise men. They gave out of what they had when they saw him, they opened up their treasures. And I got to thinking, what, what is the one thing that we can give Jesus that he did not give us? That's a tough one. You could say your life, I'd argue that he gave you that. He created you, he gave you your life. You could say money, I'd argue that he gave you that. He owns it all, he owns the whole world. The only thing I could come up with, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, The only thing we have to give Jesus that he didn't give us is our sin. Our brokenness. Our shamefulness. 
that when we come face to face with the King of Kings, all he wants is to take our sin. I don't know where where you are with that this morning. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Christ. I don't know how this Christmas season has been for you. But when we come face to face with the creator of the world, with Jesus, even as a baby, the wise men seem to get it. All he wants is our sin. Because as, as you and I know, when you come to Jesus and you, give, you lay your life before him, you give him your sin, you give him your ugliness, you give him your brokenness, something happens inside of you. And it's just an amazing parallel, I think, to this story. Because something happens inside of you that after you've done that, after you've given him that, don't you go home different? The wise men certainly through an angel, through a vision, go home a different way. But they went home a different way than the way they came. It probably wasn't an easier way. It probably wasn't a shorter way or they would have come that way in the first place, right? It was probably a little more difficult, maybe a little bit longer. But when they came to Jesus, they worshiped, they gave, they went home a new way. When we come to Jesus and we give him our sin and our brokenness, we go home a new way. We go home different. We go home transformed. We go home changed because he takes that sin and he takes the death, the penalty of that sin, and he gives us life in place of it. And it causes us to be different. And it's not often easier, is it, Christians? Sometimes it's a longer way. Sometimes it's a rockier way. Sometimes it's, it's just harder, but it's different. And we're changed and we're transformed because of the power of Jesus himself inside of us. We have been made new through him. And as we come out of this Christmas season and head into a new year, this is the challenge for us. Would we have the faith of the wise men who, while they were pagan, they were not believers of the one true God. They didn't subscribe to the one true God. Yet when they saw Jesus, it seems that everything changed for them. Would we be men and women who would have the faith of the wise men? Or the faith of the high priest and the scribes who have all the knowledge in the world about Jesus? We know the stories. If someone were to come to us and ask, we could even point them, we could counsel them, we could say, this is it. But when it comes to going and experiencing and living in Jesus, we just assume sit and let someone else go. As we head into a new year in 2014, I'm not, I'm not asking you to make a resolution. I just want to ask you, whose faith will you walk with? 
will be a faith that experiences Jesus daily and calls you to lay at him, at his feet, your sin, your brokenness. Allow him to call you to repentance and transform you. Will you simply sit as the high priest did and let someone else go worship? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the story of Christmas. Father, I thank you for the wise men. I thank you that they did not let their own persuasions get in the way of them worshiping Jesus. Father, I thank you that as they came, Father, I can only imagine as they were heading to Jerusalem, the thoughts going through their head, the expectation, but even then as they left Jerusalem to go to Bethlehem and that star went before and led them and guided them, Father, just the the excitement that began to dwell up in them, but then when they opened the door, walking around, barely speaking, needing to be cared for hand and foot by his mother. They were gripped so hard that they fell to their knees and worshiped him. Father, would the person of Jesus grip us so much? astound us so much. Wake us up from our sleep so that we would worship him for who he truly is. Father, as we do that and we lay our lives before him, Father, I pray that you would transform us in your power to the men and women of God that you're calling us to be. And though it might not be easy It might take a while. We would know every step of the way that you are in us and you're with us. So in the name of Jesus, I pray.